This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91, the same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and joining me is Dustin Sutton. He's the president of 3GIS. Dustin, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we're going to review how the outside plant data has become integral to telecom digital transformation. And Dustin's really going to help us break that down. So let's just start off by talking about OSP. And and why don't you just explain uh, what is the outside plant and why it's important to know where poles and street furniture and cables and, and fibers are located? Outside plant is just exactly what it sounds like. It's everything that's outside of a building for a telecommunications company. When they're looking at their business, all their assets are somewhere in the field, whether they're hooked on a pole or buried in the ground that consists of copper cables and fiber cables and equipment, basically anything they need to deliver internet service to your house, to your business, to the pole that has the the antenna for the the cell site on it. So all of those things are rolled up into the outside plant for for our industry. Absolutely. So when you when you kind of look at this at this information, what's the value of just having lines and dots on a map? Is there more info that uh, you need from physical networks and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's how we started many years ago. Dots on a map were were exciting because you had something that you could go back to and reference. I think today it's gotten a lot more complex. So those lines and dots on the map have to have a lot more meaning because they're more than one or two options of what they can represent. Uh, used to they were a copper cable and. And if you had a line on the map, you knew what it was. It was a copper cable. Today, that cable could be copper. It could be coax. It could be any different size of fiber optic cable that works in many different ways. So today, you really have to define a lot more information about what that dot means or what that line means. And even more importantly is how are those things connected together? Right. Yeah, I can't just draw a line from, from here across the rest of the city and say, I know I've got a point from here to here. No, you've got 16 different cables that make up that connection and here's how they're all connected together. Absolutely. And I'm guessing that that really highlights just the need for accurate location data. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Knowing where that is, is important for for obviously a few different reasons. One is making sure that people don't uh, disconnect it or accidentally dig into it. So y'all see these signs driving down the highway of a call before you dig. And uh, our industry is really what that's about is is making sure that if you're going to put a shovel in the ground for any reason that, uh, that you know, what's, what's buried there or, if a tornado comes through and takes out a pole, you know what was on that pole to begin with. All of that information is thankfully now digitized for most companies. They can go back and restore those services very quickly. And so all that location data is extremely important to, to prevent these outages, but also just to send trucks to the field. Tyler, if you called wanting internet service at your house, they need to know where to send a crew to the field to potentially disconnect one service that's not in use anymore and, and connect your service. In the good old days, uh, which was, you know, some companies is still today. They have to refer to spreadsheets and they have to refer to all kinds of documentation and it takes them a long time to get you service. If you've ever called wanting internet service and they've said, oh, it'll be 30 days before we can get something connected, that's because they don't have good documentation for the most part to figure out how to get you that service. It's going to take them a long time to figure it out and to get it connected up rather than saying, yeah, we'll have you connected up in the next two days. Right. And in our industry, that that's the difference between getting that customer and not getting that customer. That's why there's, there's so much 
uh, investment going into these systems today to, to make sure that they can respond in two days or, or three days instead of 30 days. Absolutely. So having that having that good, accurate location data can really increase efficiency and productivity and really help you get business that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise gotten then. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's That revenue is what these companies are really focused on. And when we go into soft problems, it's, uh, it's not typically... You know, cost reduction is great, but they're really focused on the revenue side. It's so it's it's how do I turn up customers faster? How do I reduce my churn so that I don't have to go get so many new customers because I'm not losing my existing ones and I'm keeping a good reputation in my industry? Mm-hmm. Those things are all really really important to to these companies. Are some of today's network management systems really struggling to handle this digitization of OSP? Is that something that's going on? And if so, why is that happening? Yeah, I would say most of the systems out there are really struggling. Really, it's it comes down to they were built uh, on legacy platforms in the you know early '90s, mid '90s when mapping platforms really became a thing. They they used the t- technology of that day and they made a big investment of millions of dollars to build this really good system that tracked a copper network very, very well. But what you have today is you really have very complex networks that are rapidly changing. So if you went back and looked at the problem they were trying to solve then, um, it was a fairly static network, large, large cables, 3,000, 5,000 twisted pair cables. So it's a big data, but pretty static. And there was only one or two ways to build it. There wasn't tons and tons of different architectures and options, but today, the problem has changed significantly in that you have fiber optic networks that be, can be connected thousands or hundreds of thousands of different ways, depending on the size of the network. And the architectures change very, very rapidly. So uh, something that works today and five years from now will be obsolete and, and they'll be putting in new equipment that operates a totally different way. So if you don't have a, a system that was built with those things in mind, then these companies find themselves having to, to start over. So they've got to go back and justify making millions of dollars reinvesting into building a brand new system that can track these things. And that investment doesn't always make sense for these large companies. Hmm. So companies like us who started a little bit later, uh, this was our second iteration, I guess you would say, was built in the uh, you know, 2007, 2008 on that architecture. And we've actually redone it since then. We had, uh, I guess, the, more information at the time to build it in such a way that it was it provides a lot of flexibility. So as you move forward and these things change, these companies can can react much more quickly to these new changes and they can use their current system to document these changes and they don't have to back, go back and either pay for customizations and changes or or really just find a way to do it on paper or in Excel spreadsheets. So that's, that's a huge problem in our industry right now is there's um, a lot of investment that goes into building these systems for these companies. And as you see how the network has progressed, it's just, uh, it's a totally different ballgame than it was when these were first built. Absolutely. Well, and what you're talking about, it sounds like it's big decisions that are being made for these network operators. So what are some of the key factors then that they need to be considering when they think about their OSP investments? What are some of the, the big, maybe bullet point things that you think that need to be considered when they make these decisions? Yeah. So if we're looking at the the OSP as far as their, their physical outside plant, there's, um, as you said, there's huge investments going in right now. Uh, Companies are spending, you know, millions and in a few cases, billions of dollars to really expand their networks. And so I think the the key things that we're taking away from the different companies we talk to is, as far as these investments are, um, they're trying to build a lot more flexibility into their architectures. So just kind of as we just spoke about, the the networks will change. Uh, there's There's no more thought that what we're building today is going to last for 20, 30, 40 years like it used to. So they're building a lot more flexibility into how they 
construct and design the network so that as 5G becomes 6G or, or whatever comes next, they have the ability to change their network to meet that needs and they don't have to go back and make these huge investments again and again and again. So that would be the first. I think um, kind of going along with that is the overbuilding. So as they look at this investment, the actual physical cables and the conduit that they're putting in the ground is is a very small part of the investment. It's it's labor. It's people who uh, make a lot more per hour than that cable costs per foot. So as they pay for 95% of the cost in labor, they want to make sure that they're putting a little bit extra conduit in the ground, a little bit extra fiber on the pole so that they have that extra bandwidth and capacity as needs grow as we go from you know 720p TV to 4K and 8K TV that needs to be streamed. Um, they have the capacity to respond to those changes. So overbuilding is is a really, really important thing that they need to look at. And going along with that is, is building in redundancy. I think one of the biggest changes that's happened in our industry is um, people are looking at it as more of a uh, necessity, I guess, for good internet service instead of a luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the Universal Services Fund was changed to uh, to be more focused toward from from telephone service, which was we've subsidized across the U.S. for many years. Now it's subsidizing building out internet to rural areas because it's seen as a, a must-have to stay competitive and to really to live a what we consider to be a normal life. As that becomes more and more important, these internet services are becoming um, more highly valued. So if you have a company like Amazon or Google or anyone who has these big data centers, they have four or five different routes coming into their data centers that give them internet service. So if one or two go down, they don't lose service. And so these things are becoming critical. Uh, hospitals now rely on you know data uh, bandwidth as much as they do a lot of their internal machines. They're building a lot of capacity and they companies need to even focus more on this so that they can have redundant networks to the same locations, uh, different paths coming from different parts of the cities, different head ends, different equipment so that service will stay up no matter what happens. And, and that's really important. Yeah, that's that's a great point because, um, you know, here, here at MarketScale, we record a, a lot of different podcasts and talk to people across a lot of different industries. I, I did uh, a series of healthcare podcasts recently talking to people about artificial intelligence being used uh, all across healthcare. And that requires reliable connectivity. That requires, uh, you know, always making sure that you're you're online and you're you're connected and that sort of thing. So it's vitally important just for for companies to to consider. I would have to say. Totally agree. Uh, we we can all tolerate uh, maybe not happily, but we can tolerate our Game of Thrones episodes pausing for a minute to buffer. But <laughs> in the middle of a heart surgery, you really can't uh, you can't have your data stream interrupted if if that's being remotely done by some surgeon in another city, right? So. Right. Yeah, it definitely right. becomes crucial. I think a lot of the people are also waiting for that silver bullet. Um, they're saying, you know, when 5G gets here, we'll have that low latency, we'll have that high bandwidth option. And I think the more, um, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but the companies you're thinking more about um, how to prepare for the future are building it on today's technology. They're saying, look, fiber fiber is reliable. Um, 5G may get there. It's it's exciting, the possibilities, but right now for uh, to be able to respond to these, you know, the current needs, we've got to use trusted and true technology like fiber optic cables. And 
and they're building it in such a way so these these new technologies like 5g they're really preparing for those but not necessarily saying i'm going to wait and build later when i know what 5g is really going to do for me uh, they're getting ahead of it so it's an exciting time in our industry a lot of money going into it a lot of like as you said ai and machine learning going into how we design these networks it's it's pretty fun Absolutely. And yeah, it is absolutely an exciting time. And, and I think you're right. You, you hear a lot when you talk about, when you talk to different people across different industries about 5G, you hear a lot about the potential of it um, and, and what it could maybe eventually do. But we haven't necessarily seen that uh, completely in action yet, I would have to say. So th- there's, there's probably, uh, th- there is still kind of like that, that waiting period, I suppose, where everyone's kind of waiting to see what that does. But, but you're right. If you build on what's existing today, that's, that's a more firm foundation. Is that, would, would you say that that's an accurate statement? I totally agree. And I think yeah. that firm foundation, we, we're still squeezing a lot more uh, out of fiber optic cables. So what they're putting in the ground today even though it'll be utilized in totally different ways than we probably realize, it's a uh, it's a solid foundation. So I think that's a great statement you made. So we, we've spent a, a decent amount of time so far on the podcast just kind of detailing some of the ways that today's systems are are you know, struggling sometimes to, to, to keep up or to modernize or to um, to kind of dive into this world of geospatial. And uh, and so one of the things I'm wondering is just what, what maybe is the solution uh, for the shortcomings of today's systems? Yeah, I think it it really goes back to what you said earlier from dots and lines on a map to um, to what we we see is the real need, which is modeling the connectivity of the network. So it's taking that line from a single line with a little bit of information. This is a 12-strand cable from here to here to uh, this is a 12-strand cable with 12 individual strands, records that I understand how each one is being used, not just maybe not even on just the strand level, but on the wavelength level. So digging down and and modeling the much deeper information on each individual asset, um, which starts a lot of times with the connectivity. How is it connected from one place to the other? Because there are so many different options when you lay out a fiber optic network of how do you connect these different pieces to, together to get from one place to another? It's uh, if you start, we've I've tried to do it on a small network before, model the different potential options from going from one place on one side of the city to the other, and it's hundreds of thousands of different options of how you get from one place to the other. So it's it becomes a really big data problem, and so the systems today, if they don't model that connectivity in such a way that you can get that information quickly and easily, and and even keep it up to date very easily, then they're going to fail in the long term, really solving the the real need of the organization. Uh, maybe they work when you're small or when you're just starting out or when you've got great data in there day one. But uh, as your network grows and changes, if it's not easy to keep that information up, then uh, these organizations will really struggle to produce the revenue and profitability they need to keep growing. So. Right, right. So we, we talked a little bit earlier um, just about... Uh, you know, when you put a shovel in the ground, it's important to know kind of where those those cables are and, you know, where all of that is so you don't, you know, cut a line or something along those lines. But where else um, in the business is this data, is that data of, you know, where cables are? Where is that used? And how does, you know, 3GIS and, and its data flow really fit into that overall workflow? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, we've gone from really servicing the operations side of the business for the first few years of our existence and even historically, our systems have served uh, operations. And now it's being used, that information as companies become aware of how they become more competitive, they're getting that information out to the sales and marketing side of the business. So they're trying to make sure that their people are informed um, well ahead of time 
that the network is going to be available in these areas on these dates so that they can go out there and sign up the customers first. So that's a, that's been a big change as that powerful database of information that's been compiled over years and years and now is uh, being kept more up to date because it's more important. That's the information that everybody wants access to in the organization. And, and so that's why we kind of, we focus on, on web-based solutions so that you can share that out very easily and get it in these hands with the marketing and salespeople and integrate it with other applications so that you got, you know, you've got information coming from what I would say are, are really even more complex systems than ours, like provisioning. Um, you got all that coming into one central location and then people mm-hmm. with sales, marketing, engineering are able to utilize that information more quickly. So I, I think that's the, probably the biggest place we've seen is rolling it out to those three groups, engineering, sales, and marketing. So, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier was just uh, that big cost that it takes to, to kind of build out networks. There's a large amount of capital needed to uh, to complete a project like that. So um, how can a network operator really use their OSP information to get uh, their services to market and, and see that ROI a little bit quicker because there's that large upfront cost, you know? Yeah, they need a system that allows them to get that information from the field to the decision makers internally, uh, whether they're sales or operations as quickly as possible. And that's uh, that's become a huge focus on our industry is how do I capture that real-time information from the field and how do I act upon it? So um, time to revenue is, is what we get asked about a lot. How do you help me as an organization uh, reduce that time to revenue from when I wrote the check for the the construction firm to when I start receiving a check from someone who bought my internet service. And the way we allow companies to do that is to really put the tools in their hands to, uh, to see where the status of the project is. So I know it's going to be constructed next Thursday and I may want people already out there selling in that area. So that's, uh, that's something we allow them to do. And we've, we've gotten a lot of interest from companies who uh, want to reduce that time. And so, um, Biggest organization working with right now. This is a this is kind of their whole driver for buying a new or, uh, new system. They've invested. I say at this point they've invested uh, fifteen to twenty million dollars in trying to capture more data quicker for their sales organizations. And that's not just in systems like ours, but that's in um, in various different ways. But their whole goal is within uh, within thirty days prior to construction being complete. I know the services that are available in that area because. The big driver for them is I've got to get out there and sell it before my competitors. If I sign up a customer as an, as an internet service provider, I'm going to have that customer on average somewhere between seven and 10 years. Um, and there are very few inflection points that they have to really sign up these new customers that would motivate you as, an, as, a, as a customer to change services. You know, if, you, if you're going from five megabytes per second download to uh, 10, okay, that's, that's not, that may not motivate you to change. But we're talking about gigabit services. Well, this is one of those times it's going to happen in the next 15 or 20 years where I may be motivated as an individual to say, I'm going to see what else is out there and get better service. And mm-hmm. so as those things come around, these organizations find that, you know, I'm willing to make these huge capital investments, but I want to be the first to market in every location I can. So that's how we help them ret- get return on their capital is getting that information to the right sales and marketing people as quickly as they can so that they can go out there, sell it. And then also the, the on down the road, um, having that information to truly operate and keep that customer happy. So a big challenge that organizations get is when they build these networks, they get CAD documents that 
are, are thrown at them at such a pace that they cannot update their current documentation systems. And that becomes a, it isn't a quickly visible problem, but once they start operating the network and they start making decisions and disconnecting customers unintentionally, uh, or you get that tornado comes through Alabama that uh, rips down poles and they can't get customers back up as quickly as they would like because they don't really know how it was connected in the first place. Those are times that those, uh, those problems arise. So, you know, on the front end, we help them sell it faster, but we also help them reduce that churn, which helps them in the long run get a lot more investment from that huge capital expenditure. So. Absolutely. And are you creating dashboards kind of uh, t- so that it's easily viewable just right there all in one screen? Just, some, you know, just, just to see that return on investment as it happens and, and uh, just easily, I suppose, consume that information. It is. And I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a uh, attaboy to our product team. They, they came up with a construction tracking dashboard as uh, about six months ago that the customer requested something. We thought, okay, let's solve this problem for this customer. And it's become a, a really exciting part of our offering is the visibility and information it gives all up the chain. So executives can see we're progressing at the pace we want to progress and uh, the operations people can see what's coming online and the construction people can see that their subcontractors and vendors are, you know, on pace or off pace. And it's, uh, it's been very useful in that. I'm a very visual person myself. So I love the visual aspects of dashboards and uh, KPI metrics that show me where we're at. And so we're, we're finding more ways to utilize them internally and our customers are, are, uh, are really enjoying that aspect of our product. Yeah, absolutely. With people relying more and more on data these days, just having those dashboards that make it easily and re- readily available, I think is, is something that, that people uh, want and crave. And I think that that's a great uh, value added thing just for, for people to have. Um, one of the things that I, that's a trend in the industry that I've noticed is that most major uh, telecom carriers aren't utilizing their own staff to construct these networks anymore. And so there's a lot of different hands kind of being involved in the process, I suppose. So how does your solution really bridge all of the work that's being done so that network operators can really start uh, start that process of selling faster? Because as we talked about, they, they want to get that return on investment as quickly as possible. Yeah, uh, yeah this has been an interesting one because each each large contractor and subcontractor has, has typically traditionally had their own systems and a lot of them big CAD based. So they've been, again, producing these files that they email back and forth or drop in a Dropbox um, back and forth. And so what we've tried to do over the last uh, seven or eight years actively is get involved in this engineering part of the process and, and try to figure out how do you have a central repository for all this information that um, can be acted on quickly, as you said, right? So, um, Systems like ours, and and obviously I'll speak about ours because it's what I know, but you really set up a system in a way for people to easily and quickly access and contribute to this information uh, from any device, right? From an iPhone or a laptop or in our case, a web browser, any web browser on any computer. Uh, How do they quickly get that information into one source that can be utilized and contributed to in a very controlled way? So not giving people unadulterated access to change my network data that my operations are using, but you know, let let the contractors and designers do their information, do their designs, let the operations see their operations, let the marketing see that information, and do it in such a controlled way that doesn't doesn't slow them down, which is an important part, but gives them the power to contribute to to making that data more powerful, and more valuable, and and so we've built a system that has, I would say, the nice balance of controls in place. 
So we allow the construction designers, whether they're internal engineers in my engineering department or um, a, a contractor that I just hired last week to get in and contribute to the data in their area in a, in a controlled way, but not put the burden of having to go through so many uh, different steps of control that um, it makes you last to market in that area. And, and that's a fine balance that we are, are constantly striving to try to strike for our customers and different customers demand different things. But uh, a system, you know, like ours, it's a database driven um, application that can be edited and, and accessed all over the world um, is kind of key to that. We've not figured out a better way to do it than that. So I think that's uh, that's the route we're going down. And we see a lot of our competitors and others going down the same route of, trying to get that web-based solution, that mobile-based solution that uh, allows these companies to, to get that information out. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned earlier, it's just a really exciting time to be involved in the industry and really get to see the innovation as it happens and, and really be on the forefront of some of the changes we're seeing around the world. And uh, you, you mentioned earlier just making sure that uh, data is being provided to uh, to the heart surgeon as he's doing surgery, and that that kind of thing is is an important job. And so uh, I appreciate that there are people like you, Dustin, uh, in charge of making that happen and uh, and being a part of that process. Certainly makes me uh, feel a little bit better about the world that we live in these days. Okay, then. So so what are some of the models that that companies are using then when they are doing this? So how how are you seeing this actually put into practice? Because uh, all of this that you're saying sounds like really, really great in theory, you know, but then putting it into practice is always a, a different story, um, you know, once you kind of hit the real world. So how are companies uh, really putting this into practice? Yeah, you, you're exactly right. It's easy to talk about, hey, we want this one system that uh, or one set of data that's, you know, pristine and clean and, you know, gives me all the information I need. And uh, the best way we found is operators are, are approaching it one of two ways. They're either having... Um, the vendors access their internal system, which has always been a scary concept. But again, going back to the controls we've put in place to help them manage it, um, they're allowing vendors from all over the world to log into their existing main database and contribute real time to the information that they have. Um, this this gets, uh, gives the IT people and then the regulatory people a little uh, pause at first, but once they work through the details, we've, we've seen a lot of adoption even at the you know, tier one level, but that gives them the information coming from all different resources in real time to, to populate those dashboards, to have that information without having to send files back and forth and have that five, 10, 30 day lag time between when a, a person makes a change to my network and when I actually see it. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's been one of the most powerful ones. And that's what we're seeing a lot of companies come to us and ask is, how do I get people utilizing my system in a controlled way so that I don't lose control of it and, and my, my data doesn't get messed up over time, but I get this information more quickly. And that's been a, a great one. I think the other one we've seen is make the dictation coming from the large operators to, I want you to buy these systems and I want you to use these systems. And in some instances, it's even okay for them to get higher bids from their contractors to design these networks because the value and the money I'm going to save by getting this information coming in, at least in a consistent format into something I can readily ingest within an hour is much more valuable than the extra money I'm going to pay you to design it in this system. Hmm. So instead of using the traditional CAD, which has, has been kind of the default across the industry, they're dictating systems like ours of, you know, if you'll design it in three GIS and deliver it to me in their format, 
I can pay you quicker because I, I get this information quicker and, and you can invoice me as soon as you deliver it. And I don't have to spend weeks trying to get it into my system. I'm spending an hour importing it. So those are the two ways we've seen. And they've changed the companies we've seen really adopt one of those two methods uh, has really changed their model of how quickly they can go out there and, and get that revenue from selling these services. Absolutely. And that kind of follows along uh, almost the theme of what we've been talking about uh, for this entire episode, really, is just the companies are looking for ways to get quicker and to be more efficient. And so that seems to follow, you know, follow into that same trend. Yeah, sure does. And that's that's what it's all about. It, because it means we work with one to generate revenue more quickly and cost, cost savings are great. And we try to help them get those cost savings. But uh, right now in the industry, it's really turned to how do I get how to get those services sold much more quickly. Uh, Dustin Sutton, the president of 3GIS, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today, sir. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to this Market Scale Software and Technology podcast. For more podcasts and also written content and videos just like it, head over to marketscale.com. Click on Industries at the top of the page, scroll down to Software and Technology, and find more content just like this. Also, you might browse around. Who knows? You might also like the Industrial IoT page or something else there on the site as well. So make sure you stick around, browse around, find some more stuff that you like. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Software and Technology Podcast.